holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see, see you a stranger and come welcome and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did you see, sick, see us sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. For those who are visiting, uh, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to welcome you to the One Fellowship family this morning. This summer, we've been making our way through the parables of Jesus. And uh, as I looked at today's parable, I thought, really? Who assigned this to me? And I assigned this to me. And it's one of those difficult passages that if we don't understand, we can easily just gloss over, right? Move ahead of. But here at One Fellowship, we preach the whole counsel of God. So we're going to dig into this passage and see how it applies to our lives. So with that introduction, let me uh, invite you to bow your heads as I share a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me begin by asking everyone this question. What do you treasure? What do we treasure? As relayed by Nikki Gumbel, Lawrence was in charge of the finances of the church. He was also a deacon. There was a great revival taking place all around him. It was said that all of Rome were becoming Christians. 
As a result, persecution broke out under the Emperor Valerian around the year AD 250. Christians who owned property distributed all of the church's money and treasures to the poor. Valerian ordered all bishops, priests, and deacons to be arrested and then executed. He offered Lawrence, however, a a way out if he would show where all the church's treasures were located. Lawrence asked for three days to gather all of the treasure into one location. He brought together the blind, the poor, the disabled, the sick, the elderly, widows and orphans. And when Emperor Valerian arrived, Lawrence flung open the doors and said, these are the treasures of the church. Emperor Valerian was so angry, he decided beheading was not terrifying enough for Lawrence. He ordered that this courageous man instead be roasted on a gridiron. That's how Lawrence died on the 10th of August, AD 258. Friends, he was only 32 years old at the time. Apparently, Lawrence even joked with his executioners in the midst of his martyrdom, quote, you may turn me over now, I'm done on this side. Lawrence's courage on that day made such an impression that the revival in Rome only increased thereafter, with many more people becoming Christians, including several senators. It's quite the story, is it not? Lawrence, you see, had a deep understanding of what matters most to Jesus. Not riches, not fame, not possessions, not position. No, Lawrence and the early church, they were famous for caring for the poor, their poor. Lawrence and the early church were famous for caring for the church, the whole church, including the very least of these. So allow me to ask again, what do you treasure? What, what do we treasure? Turning our attention to today's passage, it can be read as one of the most shocking passages in the whole Bible, right? Sheep, goats, eternal fire. Is that what it says? Eternal punishment, really? Are we to embrace a works-based theology? It raises certain questions, doesn't it? Is this about a social gospel? And Paul, I thought Jesus was all about love, Why does he speak with such intensity and apparent ferocity here in our passage? Well, there's a lot to unpack and discover through today's parable. So let's dive in. The big idea we'll see today from God's word is this. If we treasure Jesus, we will treasure the treasure of Jesus. If we treasure Jesus, we will treasure the treasure of Jesus. Point one. Treasure Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, we read, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
As we know, studying God's word together, there's no text without context. So it's really important to understand the context of this parable. Today's parable is part of a section of scripture called the Olivet Discourse in the book of Matthew. And the purpose of this discourse is for Jesus to prophetically warn his followers about what's gonna happen in his ministry and in our world in the short term and the long term. Thus, as I already shared, it's pretty dark. Matthew chapters 24 and 25 can be dark. The temple in Jerusalem, it's gonna be destroyed, Jesus says, and believers will be persecuted. People will turn against people, nations against nation. There will be war, he warns, and quote, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness will abound. But then he goes on, to say, don't be surprised by any of this because just as things get ugly, get downright bad, something or someone will come and change everything. And who is that? The son of man, we're told. The son of man. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 and 31. They will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Thus, friends, here's what this means. Where there is darkness, there will come light. Where there's helplessness, there will come power. Where there's horror, there will come glory, redemption, and even healing. That's the backdrop of our passage today. That's the message of this Olivet Discourse. In other words, in a dark and sinful world, as followers of Jesus, the message is one of hope. The message, even though it's hard to read, it's a message of hope. It's a message of promise. Yes, the world will be riddled with pain and darkness and sin, but God will not forget his people. For those who trust in Jesus, Chris, God will not forget you. Now, before moving forward in our message, our sermon, I just want to invite us to let that backdrop or that assurance land in the room and on your heart right now. Listen, whatever you're facing this morning, the Lord will not forget you. That broken dream, that broken relationship, that broken situation, even that broken body. The Lord will not forget you. The Lord will comfort you. He will comfort you. He will love you. He will redeem you. The Lord will not forget his people. That's the backdrop of our passage today. And guess what? That is good news. Amen? Amen. And it all hinges on the arrival of one person, the Son of Man. Now, zeroing in on our specific passage, we read, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... In all the angels with him, then he, will, uh, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So the son of man, this title, what does it mean exactly? Well, as outlined by theologian Michael Wilkins, this title, which by the way, was Jesus's favorite self-designation, the son of man, the son of man. If you read the gospels, he references himself time and time again as the son of man. What does it mean? Well, it means three things. First, the son of man title refers to the humble servant who's come to forgive common sinners, just like you and me. Matthew 9, verse 6. 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he, Jesus, said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Humble servant. Second, the title refers to the suffering servant whose atoning death and resurrection will redeem his people. Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Humble servant, suffering servant. And third, this title refers to the glorious king and judge who will return yet again to establish God's kingdom fully. Matthew chapter 26, 63 and 64 Right before the crucifixion, we read, the high priest said to him, I will charge you, or excuse me, I do charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us, tell us, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus replied, but I say to all of you from now on, uh, excuse me, Jesus replied, you have said so, but I say to all of you from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds. Again, son of man, humble servant, suffering servant, sovereign king. Now bringing this into the room and to our passage today, to what category do you think Jesus was referring to himself in Matthew chapter 25? Sovereign king, sovereign king. In total fulfillment of the prophecies of old, including Daniel 7, Isaiah 66, and Joel 3, and many other prophecies. In our passage today, Yasha, Jesus is making this crystal clear. Make no mistake, I am the long-awaited sovereign king. And he makes his claim with audacity. Verse 31, at his second coming, will some of the angels come with him or all of the angels? All of the angels. Verse 32, at his second coming, will some of the nations be gathered to him or all of the nations? All of the nations. Verse 34, when he returns in glory, will Jesus be considered just another king or the king of kings? Jesus says he will be the king, meaning king of kings, sovereign over the whole cosmos. Friends, these are bold claims with audacious details. Son of man, sovereign king. Do you see it? The question is, why does he share with such boldness, this title? Is it to communicate, look at me, bow to me? It's not. He's writing to his faith family, to his followers, to comfort, encourage, and anchor us in what he will do, how he will deliver us. Don't miss this, friends. Through this title and these audacious claims, Jesus is telling us, Frederick, Sin will not have the final say. Tim, sickness will not have the final say. Friends, darkness will not have the final say. Evil, excuse me, even death itself will not have the final say. Jesus will. Jesus will have the final word in our lives as the son of man and the sovereign king. And this should invite each one of us to live by faith, live with hope, live with peace, and breathe. As a sovereign king, as we place our trust in him, we can breathe. He is in ultimate control. 
And that is a beautiful, wonderful, transformational thing. So point one, trust in Jesus, treasure Jesus, and live by faith in church. Even as you read these dark passages, breathe. Point two, treasure the treasure of Jesus. Okay, a few years ago, I came across a crazy story uh, about a man named Shane Claiborne who spent a summer living with Mother Teresa in the slums of Calcutta. And, And here's what he shared from that account. Quote, people often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo. She was short, wrinkled, and precious, maybe even a little ornery, he writes, like a beautiful, wise old granny. But there's one thing I will never forget, her feet. Her feet were deformed. Each morning in mass, I would stare at them. I'd wonder if she contracted leprosy. I wasn't gonna ask, of course, hey, Mother Teresa, what's wrong with your feet? One day, a sister said to us, have you noticed her feet. We nodded, curious. She said her feet are deformed because we get just enough donated shoes for everyone and mother does not want anyone to get stuck with the worst pair. So she digs through them and finds them and years of doing that have deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself deformed the mother's feet. Returning to our passage, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me food. Thirsty, you gave me drink. Stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. And then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did... We see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you. And and when did we see a sick person in prison and visit you? And, And the king will answer, truly I say, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it for me. Church, here's the truth. When you and I come to Jesus and receive his forgiveness and grace, it changes us. It changes us. It transforms us. There's freedom in that guilt and shame begin to fade away. There's joy in that we start giving thanks for the little things and not worry as much about the bigger thing. There's love. We start noticing people and caring for people we would have never given a darn about before we met Jesus. That's what happens. Meeting Jesus, trusting Jesus, and being led by Jesus changes a man, it changes a woman, it changes a teen, it changes a kid. And that, friends, is what Jesus is referring to in our passage. If you treasure me, he more or less says, you'll treasure what's important to me. Don't miss it. Now, I recognize we we have even quite a few visitors here today. Again, welcome on, on behalf of our faith family. We also... So I have some people who are newer to the faith. So allow me to present a concept that I'm not sure everyone here knows. It's a concept uh, generated in the Old Testament called the poverty mandate. Have you guys ever heard of the poverty mandate before? Well, did you know that in the book of Deuteronomy, God instructed the Israelites to be so loving, so caring, and so generous that they were to eradicate poverty within the covenant community 
community and alleviate it outside of the covenant community. Let, let me repeat that. Through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, God instructed the Israelites to be so loving, so caring, so generous that they were to eradicate, eliminate poverty within the faith family and alleviate it beyond the faith family. Deuteronomy 15, verses four and seven and eight. There should be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God's giving you, do not be hard-hearted and tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend to them whatever they need. Then Deuteronomy 15, verse 11, there will always be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in the land. The poverty mandate, caring especially for those within the family of God and being considerate towards those outside of the family of God. And here's the deal. That's the absolute backdrop to our passage today from the Old Testament. Note Jesus' specific language here. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Did you hear that? As you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. In other words, he's talking about our care and concern for those who are struggling within the faith family. In fact, the word brothers is a neutral word in that it can be translated brothers and sisters, meaning we can read verse 40 from our passage today in this light. As you did to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Furthermore, get this. Every single time Jesus uses this language in the gospels, it's referring to his followers, his disciples, the faith family. Moreover, through my research, I've discovered that when Paul, the apostle Paul uses this language, it's always in reference to one group of people. And who is that? The church, God's family. In other words, Jesus is saying he's so passionately committed to the church, to his brothers and sisters in the church as a son of man and the sovereign king, that to know him means to love them. Jesus is so extreme in this regard that he says to love them, meaning every single person in every single situation in the church, to, to love every single person is to love him. In fact, then there's the doom and gloom language. If we don't do this, we never knew him in the first place. So church, does God care about the poor generally speaking? Absolutely, it's throughout scripture. But in our passage today, Jesus is specifically illuminating his heart for you and for me and others in the family of God. See them, love them, enter their messiness, and care for them. In loving them, you're loving me, Jesus says. So point two, treasure the treasure of Jesus. Now, before landing this sermon, I know we have some theologically minded uh, congregants here. Allow me to point out one more thing. Is this passage, in fact, promoting social gospel living or works-based theology? It's not. 
Verse 34 indicates our blessing comes from the Father, not our own works. Verse 37 indicates that the righteous people in Jesus' parable were themselves surprised by the king's response to their good works. In other words, church, good works flow from grace. They don't build a case for grace. Good works flow from grace. They don't build a case for grace. Put simply, grace begets grace because love begets love. If we treasure Jesus, we'll treasure the treasure of Jesus. In the words of the late church leader, Leslie Newbegin, the gospel is not just the illustration, even the best illustration of an idea. It is the story of actions by which the human situation is irreversibly changed. So as we close, two pieces of encouragement, two things. First, trust your whole life to Jesus. Trust him, understanding he is the son of man in the sovereign king. Our passage makes clear he will come again. And this is a wonderful promise that allows us in the face of a dark world to live by faith, not by sight, and breathe. Some of you need this encouragement today. You're facing something dark, something heavy with yourself, with your family, with your life. Cry out to God today. Say, Jesus, son of man, allow me to breathe, trusting in your promises. And second, love what Jesus loves. And what is that? His church, his family. Love on your belief. Love out of your belief. What does this look like? Well, there are certain avenues that we've set up that we can all live this out together. One of the greatest needs in our church is for the young families who drop off their little kids and they can barely make it to the seat in the sanctuary. We need people who are dedicated to caring for the kids of this church. Even if you don't have a kid yourself, would you pray about serving in our kids ministry once a month or once every six weeks? We need all hands on deck. You could also join our meals team our Hope Repair team, our Feed the Sheep team. You'll see lots and lots of opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus within our covenant community. And it doesn't have to be even planned out. If you see a need, the question is whether God's calling you and positioning you to meet that need. I didn't ask my wife if I could share the story, but when, when, when this happens, it's a game changer. At a certain point in her family's life, she told me they were just going through some hard times in her childhood. They had lost everything. And they came out of church one day and people had, had gone and bought groceries and put them on their side mirrors because they needed food to eat. That's how down in the dumps they are. Would you do something spontaneous and radical for someone even sitting right here across the room today with us? Don't just come to church and bolt out the door after church. See people, love people, care for people. Look for opportunities to be extravagant in his grace and spontaneous in that grace. Bend the knee and care for one another in the family of God, this family of God. Truly, I say to you, as you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, so you did it for me. Let that be true of us 
If we treasure Jesus, we'll treasure the treasure of Jesus. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this parable that anchors us in Jesus, the Son of Man, the Sovereign King. Thank you for his sacrifice and thank you for his grace. Would you pour that out on everyone here today? Flood us and allow us to see others as you see others through the highs and lows. And may we bend the knee caring for every one of our brothers and sisters no matter what situation in which they find themselves. We pray this for our good and your glory. In your son's name, amen.